airways Here is my request You don't have to play it But I hope you'll do your best I've been listening to your show on the radio And you seem like a friend to me Howdy hi, Victoria Stand the man Hello Oh, don't get up, it's only me. Hello, welcome to a brand new year. I'm Liz. I'm Pete. 1420 3XY, how are you? It's nine after six with Lee Simon. It's 18 to six, 3DB with Keith McGowan. More grand old favourites to play for you a little later on. 3 E, the breeze 693. Good morning and welcome to our brand new radio station. Good afternoon, Melbourne. It's seven minutes past three. This is Greg Evans at 1420 3XY. Well, hi and welcome once again to Pilots of the Airwaves. It is our 40 minutes or so where we get to talk to the people behind the voices who are friends to a whole generation. And today's pilot has been 40 years in the business. 30 of those at the one station, and he's not finished yet. From being the most popular kid at school to a top-rating afternoon disc jockey, Craig Huggins' professional life has been nothing but radio, and he wouldn't have it any other way. Craig Huggins, welcome to Pilots, and thanks for joining us. Hey, Paul, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. I've heard some of the uh, other podcasts, and they're really good. No, it's our absolute pleasure. Now, as we said, 40 years in the business, but it's your early years that I think were most fascinating. Firstly, where was your dial set in those early teenage years, and whose words were you hanging off? Oh, look, uh, being a Melbourne boy, um, it was 3XY always for me. I think at school, the battle was between 3XY and 3AK where no wrinklies fly you know they were the two you know rock stations in Melbourne but for me it was it was always 1420 3XY and uh and Greg Evans was you know my hero. Okay so let's go back to the 1st of August 1981 in Murray Road in Preston. Now why is this date so significant in your career? How did you end up there and what did it lead to? Okay so that was the uh the junior disc jockey competition that 3XY ran and uh, it was a it was a funny thing, Paul. So my father was a teacher, and he taught at Preston East College, which is next door to Northland. And I said to Dad uh, and Mum, you know, I'm going, uh, I'm going to take the day off, and I'm going to go to Northland. I've got to get drawn out of a barrel to pretend to be a disc jockey on stage. And I, you know, if I win, I might win a cassette recorder or something. And yeah, you know, Dad, being a teacher and you know, vice principal, actually, he was like, you're not having a day off um, for that. Um, but I went up and I uh, I got drawn out of the barrel and I and I won the heat on stage in front of about you know a hundred people and I'd never seen a cart machine or a tape deck or I'd never done anything like it but I won my heat um, and I won that cassette deck and uh, you know a little boombox and I went straight over to Dad's school and I waved it in the in the window while he was teaching and he came out and congratulated me and then then uh, the final was a few days later on the on the date that you mentioned. And that was back at Northland again. So the 13 winners of the heats from around um, Melbourne 
uh, all had to do the same thing again, get up on stage. And we didn't just pretend to be disc jockeys. We were, there, there were sponsors like there always is in radio. And so I had to uh, write commercials for uh, BASF tapes and uh, Greenmount Holiday Resort in Queensland. And, you know, all the things that we would win, we wrote commercials about. And, you know, I did some, uh, wrote myself some little back announces of things I could say. And most of it was made up, you know, like I was, I was talking about, uh, you know, here's the mental as anything who played last week at, at Richie's here in Preston and stuff like that, which was not true, but it, it was um, just something for me to be able to pretend to be a disc jockey with. So I won the final and um, part of the prize was uh, 10 minutes on 3XY with Greg Evans. Um, and so I went and did that at the station a few weeks later, maybe a week later. And uh, they liked what I was doing and um, Greg kept me on and Greg Smith, who was the program director, came in and, and told them to leave me on. So I ended up doing an hour on 3XY. I, ran a, I won a radio course at um, Clark Sinclair's radio school um, and I actually didn't go there very much because within two or three weeks, I think, um, I got home from school and my mum said, oh, there's a message on the machine from some bloke named Greg Smith from 3XY wants you to call him. So I did. And um, yeah, they offered me, um, they said there was a midnight to dawn uh, announcer was leaving and they'd like to try me for a few months. So that's what I did. I did mid-dawns and I did Saturday and Sunday breakfast. So let me get this right. You were working midnight to dawn and going to school. So how did you organise yourself during the day and during the night? Well, it was even a little bit more convoluted than that. Um, I was a reasonably good um, footballer. I'd, uh, I'd trained at Carlton. I'd been invited to Carlton. Um, and I'd played in Victorian teams, um, underage teams. And uh, I sat out. I went to Carlton a few times and... Um, and decided if I was good enough, I wanted to play for Fitzroy. So I went to Fitzroy and they said, look, you'll have to sit out of footy and go off Carlton's radar. So I did that. But then I started playing football at Coburg, which leads me to the story of what my day looked like. So I'd uh, get up in the morning and go to uh, high school, which was in Coburg, Newlands High School next to Pentridge. And I'd go to school. And then after school, I'd catch the number 19 train uh, tram, I should say, into the city down Sydney Road go to 3XY, which at that stage was in King Street, 411 King Street, opposite the Flagstaff Gardens. Um, and I would learn the ropes. Um, so, you know, carting and using tapes and reading some commercials on that. And, um, and then I'd go back home, go to footy training for two of the days in the week, um, try and catch some sleep and then go back to, to 3XY. Mum or dad would drive me in and, um, and do the one till 5am show, which is what midnight to dawn was. And there were no trams at five o'clock in the morning. So I used to jog home. So I was pretty fit from, from, uh, from Flagstaff to, um, to Coburg. It was about nine kilometers. It, it didn't actually, I was pretty fit. So it didn't really take long, but yeah. So that was, that was my days. As you mentioned, son of a teacher. So how did the school by day, DJ by night arrangements go down at home? Oh, look, I think, I've got two older brothers. Um, one's 10 years older than me. One's five years older than me. And they're both, they were both, uh, how, do you, how do you put it, scholars, real scholars. You know, they went to university and so on and so forth. And and I think my parents knew from a young age that um, that wasn't going to be me. I was always going to do something different. You know, I had this, I'd done work experience at, at Channel 9 and I, my first part-time job was on Hey Hey, It's Saturday. And, um, you know, so I'd, uh, there, was this, there was this love of media and I talked about being a stunt man for a while. And so there was always 
I think they always knew that I wasn't going to go off and, you know, do my, um, my master's in accounting or whatever. And um, so they came around to the idea and, you know, it didn't really take long. They were pretty proud of hearing me on the radio. Yeah, so no, it was fine. Now, as we mentioned, 3XY was the hottest station in town at the time. What was the reaction from the kids at school? And were you able to keep a, a level head through all this? I went from being nobody at school to uh, the next day, you know, every girl in Mel- in, uh, in school wanted to know me. <laughs> I became popular. Oh, look, um, it'd be fair to say that I was, I was a pretty popular kid at school um, in the sense that you know, I, I, I was always outgoing like I am now. So, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I had my group of friends and we were all great mates, but absolutely it, it, it changed because at school suddenly I was, they could hear me on the radio. Um, yeah. So it was, it was, it was a novelty. Um, f- but for me, it was a, a lot of work. Um, and what a lot of people probably wouldn't realize is because I started so, so young, um, and I was doing midnight to dawn and I was playing high grade footy and I was still, I was going to school. I actually didn't have that time in my life where, you know, I went out and got drunk with my mates and partied a lot because I would go to a party with my mates, but I'd know that I've got to leave at 12 o'clock and go to work. So, um, so, but yeah, you know, I was, I was popular, but you know, I'm, I'm a pretty level headed bloke. My, my, the people that I knock around with even these days aren't, you know, I've got friends who are in the media, but you know, my best mate's a plumber. Now, Gavin Wood was doing breakfast at the time. John Peters was there. Greg Evans, of course. Barry Bissell and I think Gary Soprane as well. Now, doing Midnight to Dawn, did you get to develop any sort of relationship with the heavy hitters or, or was there only enough time to get in, do your shift and, and get out? No, well, I didn't really work with Barry for very long. He, I think he left maybe oh, within the first week of me being there. Um, but I'd since got to know Barry, uh, you know, a little bit. and um, But certainly the other guys, um, I became really quite good friends with. I'm still really good friends with with Greg Evans. Um, and he sort of took me under his wing a bit. Even after he left 3XY and I was still there, Greg and I still kept close contact. I was the voiceover on that TV show, Blind Date, that, uh, that Greg hosted. Um, so we always stayed in contact, you know, with that. Gavin Wood and I, became really good friends and we worked with each other, uh, you know, a few times um, because he was at Goldbono 4.3 when I went there or KZFM as it was called at the time. And, I, you know, even when I worked in Bush Radio, Gavin I had come up to Horsham a couple of times while I was working there. And um, But he was the first announcer after my um, my first Midnight to Dawn show I had to throw to Gavin Wood. And that was pretty exciting, you know, when I finished in the morning being able to say, you know, Gavin Wood's next. So, Craig, in amongst being a teenager on the hottest radio station in town uh, doing mid-dawn, there was, of course, that moment of self-doubt where you questioned your ability and uh, actually quit the station. How did that all come about and, and why? Do you know, Paul, I was, it was the middle of the night and I was probably walking off to get a cup of tea or go to the toilet or something. And um, I was walking along the corridor at the radio station and on the wall was all our photos. And as, as we walked along, it was, it was Greg Evans and... I think Bill Ally and Peter Harrison and, you know, all these people, Gary Soprane. And and I sort of looked at them and I thought, gee, you know, <laughs> I'm 16 years old and these blo- I'm pretty terrible on the air. Um, I'm never going to be able to be better than these blokes. I'm never going to move up the ranks. And so, yeah, I, it wasn't so much doubting myself, but it was doubting my ability to, yeah, to, to move up. And I thought, well, the only way I'm going to be able to do that is to perhaps 
go and get the country experience that everybody else sort of ha- had done that, that I'd met in radio. And so I went into the boss the next day and to Greg Smith, who, of course, was the guy that ended up setting up the, the whole Osteria network, like a, just a, a legend in the radio business. And I said to, to Greg, I'm, I'm going to leave. And I explained why. And he said, oh, well, I'll try and help you get a job. And I said, no, 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 let me just put a tape out myself and send it around. And, you know, admittedly, I probably knew in the back of my mind that if you've got 3XY on your on your resume, you know, you'll probably be able to get a gig. But um, so that's what I did. But I never really left 3XY, to be honest, because I went to Horsham, 3WM is where I was employed. And uh, I was doing drive up there. And But every weekend I'd come back to Melbourne and um, still work on 3XY. And then I, I went up to Brisbane and uh, worked up there. And when I was on holidays um, and I broke my shoulder at one stage playing footy and I came back and I worked on 3XY. So I never really left. And when I went back to 3XY full time um, a few years later, it was funny. I'd never been taken off the books. So I started with all this holiday leave. <laughs> hey, nice one. Bad luck those paychecks didn't keep coming. Now, how did you find the Horsham experience after moving from the biggest metro station in Melbourne to a small country audience? Yeah, I loved it. Um, I uh, When I first went there, I uh, lived in a, a, a caravan, my parents' caravan. We had a nice van and we put it at the caravan park at Horsham. And there was a, my site had a little brick ensuite behind it and the and the uh, Wimmera River ran around behind the caravan park and then down past the the uh, radio station. So, um, you know, it was really picturesque, really, really lovely there. And uh, I, I liked working in, in the station, you know, a lot. I think there was only eight people worked in the building. It was a brand new building in Horsham. It's still the same one they have today, but I understand that um, a newspaper's run out of there as well. So the Ace Radio Network and a newspaper, I can't imagine 40 people in that building. But anyway... And for those who don't know, if you look at the top of the 3WM building from like a, you know, a drone or something, it's actually in the shape of the letters WM. But um, yeah, no, I, I loved it there, Paul. You know, um, everyone was young, really young. We all had a really good time. The equipment was, you know, state of the art at 3WM. Um, I did have the issue because I was chopping and changing through the two stations that I would <laughs> sometimes say 3XY on 3WM and vice versa. I remember I I was on uh, 3XY once and I said, on 3WM once and I said, and I said, uh, 3WM rocks Melbourne. <laughs> I'll tell you a quick story. My introduction to, um, to working in country radio. So by this stage, obviously, my parents were really proud of me and, um, well, they always were really proud, but they wanted to listen to their son. So um, dad being a tradie, so he was a trade teacher and a maths teacher he uh, got up on the roof and put this big antenna on top of our place in Coburg so he could listen to 3WM and we had to do funeral announcements because in country radio uh, the local paper only comes out once a week and so every other day you'd be on the air during funeral announcements so that the community would know who had passed away so I had never had to do this before and somebody passed me this piece of paper and I was supposed to say uh, the executor of the late John Smith wishes to, the, the executor of the late John Smith's will uh, would like to advise that the funeral for John will be held on the blah, blah, blah. So I got off the air and my father rang me. He said, do you know what you said? And I went, no. He said, you better go back and listen to what you said. So I listened to my tape, my first day in Horsham. And I'd said, the executioner of the late John Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never even seen the word executor. <laughs> <laughs> 
But you know, back in those days, we had some we had some wild times. We played tricks on each other all the time, and yeah, it was really, really, I really enjoyed my time at Horsham. So it's now back to 411 King Street and looking at the 3XY lineup for 1985, there was the great Peter O'Callaghan and the zoo, Kevin Hillier, yourself, Sherlyn Irvine and Peter Grace. Now that's not a bad team from the back line. Yeah, we had a really good team, didn't we? Um, yeah, when I, when I went back there, it was, um, yeah, we were, we were really cooking. We, uh, we had a really good radio station. 3XY was a fantastic station to work at. You know, it was really hard when I left. I remember going in to see Peter Grace who was the program director when I decided to, to leave the station. And, uh, and I, and I was literally in tears, you know, it was my, it was, you know, it's like the kid who always wanted to play football for the team he barracked for. And for me, it was, you know, the radio, as I said to you earlier, I grew up listening to three XY. I finally got to work there and I worked with, with people that I loved listening to and they were my heroes. And so, yeah, the lineup was really good. And of course, Peter O'Callaghan with the XY Zoo, that was really the first sort of, I guess, team breakfast radio in Melbourne because there was Peter and there was, you know, Richard Stubbs, who, you know, is just a fantastic, so, such a talented and, and great bloke. And we had Tazzy, who was Rick McKenna, who's now, you know, behind the, like Catherine Kim and all that sort of stuff. It was just, it was quite an amazing team we had. We got Our special guest today is Craig Huggins. And obviously, Craig, uh, mid to late 80s was the time when Eon and the Fox were starting to make significant inroads into that Melbourne marketplace. When did you start to see the writing on the wall for the AM music stations? Um, I guess when I started to see the people around me resigning. Um, so I went to Eon FM in 1991. And that's a, that's a funny story too, because... Um, the, because I'd been at the station so long, and as I mentioned, I, I hadn't been taken off the books, I resigned um, before a couple of the other guys, but I left after them um, because I'd had to give a longer period of notice. So, so I guess, you know, Paul, I don't know that I ever saw the writing on the wall, but I was offered a good job and... Um, you know, I suppose I suppose you could see that you know FM was was going to be the way to go for music stations. So yeah, I suppose around you know mid nineteen ninety, I guess was when I really said when I left Three XY, um, I was the last person to leave Three XY that had been there when we were last number one. So yeah, that was a bit of a funny moment. <laughs> now it's probably fair to say that you weren't short on familiar faces on the Triple M roster in nineteen ninety ninety one time. No, well, Mark Irvine had already moved over there with Sherl. Um, and, uh, oh, look, just everybody, virtually everybody. I think John Peters was there, of course. Um, well, I think by that stage, I think Stubbsy had already moved there. Kevin Hillier, of course. I mean, Kevin went to the Fox and then he then he went to Triple M. Um, yeah, it was one of those stations. I always, I always say that, um, you know, they... Eon FM. So I went there when it was Eon FM and it changed to Triple M while we were there and we had a, while I was there and we had a big street party and it was, uh, yeah, that was pretty exciting. I tell you what's very strange. Um, and I remember it vividly it was the first time I turned the mic on at Eon FM and I, and I'd never heard myself. I'd only ever heard myself on AM. And so it was quite disconcerting. It was like, it didn't quite sound right. It was like, Oh, so that's what I sound like. That's, Oh, that's a bit ordinary. Better work on that. And I used to throw my voice right down here. And 
90, 93.9 EIFM, <laughs> whatever we were, 92. What were we? 92.3. That's all right. It's just a flick to FM. So, Craig, it was a conversation with KZFM pioneer Peter Meehan that saw you drop down the dial slightly to 104.3. So what was it that Peter said that convinced you to make that uh, significant move? Peter had spoken to me a few times um, over the previous probably two years about coming over to KZFM. Um, In the end... What happened was he he contacted me again and we got together and I think I was doing late nights at Eon, uh, Triple M, I should say. And he contacted me and said, we're going full on 18 to 24s and we want you to do drive. And I went, well, you know, that, that kind of sounds pretty good. And, um, you know, they'd spent a fortune on their FM license and their ratings were doing okay. Um, I mean, they've, when they first spent, whatever it was, $32 million or something, um, they went through the roof. But then it sort of started to peter off. And I thought, oh, well, you know, Pete did all those things of, you know, we think you're going to help us to make the the, the difference and that sort of stuff. Um, and, yeah, so I guess that was the clincher. I was going to be on in the daytime and, um, and it was going to be a station that was right in my demographic, which was 18 to 24s. <laughs> for about two months. That's exactly right, because KZFM suddenly morphed into Gold 104.3. So the question is, was a jock in his 20s ready to start presenting a playlist of music he knew very little about? Oh, my God. <laughs> so Peter Meehan had stepped down from being program director, and we got a, a new program director named Peter Sinclair. And it was very strange because between Monday to Friday, we were playing this 18 to 24 music. And all of a sudden, Peter Sinclair says, oh, on the weekend, we're going to do these good time oldies weekends. And I'm thinking, you know, when I heard the first one, I thought, so yesterday I was playing, you know, the new song from, you know, whoever, 1927 or, you know, whoever it might have been. And then the next day I was playing Bev Harrell. It was very odd. Um, And the short answer is, I, no, I, I, I didn't know. I thought this is the greatest mistake of my life when all of a sudden, you know, not long later, we were going to be full-time, good-time oldies. And I was serious. I was playing songs I'd never, ever heard before from artists I'd never heard. Um, but what it really did do, Paul, and I look back on it now and, it, and, I, and I kind of appreciate it in a sense that it really gave me um, an insight into where the music that I loved and that I was listening to just personally came from. And I've got a, a real love for for Motown and some of the, you know, the, the I guess, mid-50s, early sort of British invasion bands and the, and, and the glam rock scene. But certainly there were Australian songs that we were playing on, uh, on Gold that I'd, I'd never heard of, but, you know, now, I, I, you know, they're not they're still not my favourite songs, but I have an appreciation for them. Craig, that uh, format must have suited your style to a certain degree, having registered a massive 15.9 audience share in the 12 to 3 shift in 1992. Well, <laughs> and it's funny, you know, because, you know, they told me I was going to be doing this three-hour shift, but when I got there, somebody left. So I did a six-hour shift for about the first year. So I was doing drive as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the, the radio station went through the roof. We were, we were shiny and new and all these songs that, 
you know, people had, I guess, forgotten about, or at least weren't hearing on the radio. Suddenly we were playing. It was a very slick radio station. We, um, and we didn't say much. It was a very easy radio station to work on. Um, everything was pretty much, you know, formatted of, of what we would say. And when we'd say it, we'd have to come up with our own hooks and things like that. But, you know, it was pretty much after, you know, every third song, it was good time oldies, Gold 104, coming up from the 60s, blah, 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 from the 70s, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that was it. But it was, it, as I say, it was different. It was new. And, yeah, people hadn't heard the monkeys for a long time and they wanted to hear them again, clearly. Now, of course, there were many great names in broadcasting at the station in the early 90s, but there was also a radio legend in Don Lun there at the time. So did you ever run into Dr. Fun? And if so, what are your memories? Oh, the daddy of the radio. He was fantastic. Don was such a nice bloke. And, um, you know, I, I remember I've always sort of, uh, I guess, been very up. I'm always having a good time on the radio and it's not a put on because that's that's the kind of person I am. I, I, I love what I do. And I think Don really appreciated that because his Saturday night show on gold was crazy over the top. And um, whenever he was away or sick, I would plead that I could do that show. And I remember one night he was, he was crook. And, uh, and I, so I did the Saturday night six o'clock rock show for him. And in the middle of it, he rang up because he loved the fact that I'd said, <laughs> it's Craig Huggins here tonight for the daddy-o of the radio. I'm the deputy daddy-o. <laughs> and he absolutely loved it. What a wonderful, wonderful man, Don Lunn. Just a, just a great bloke. Nothing but classic hits. A 104.3, the new gold FM. It's fair to say that gold has stood the test of time over all the years, and you've been there all the way. What's in the station's DNA that makes it so successful and, I suppose, so durable? So we're one of the few radio stations that doesn't aim at a specific sex. So we're not male-skewed and we're not female-skewed. And we also have a really broad range of, I guess, decades that we cover. So the one thing about gold and it's always been this way is that when you turn the radio station on you might not necessarily love the song but you'll know the song and you can be pretty sure that you know that song and the next one will probably be the one you love do you know what i mean so um you know that we're not playing anything unfamiliar so you can turn on any other radio station in Melbourne and you and it's some any other music station, I should say, and you're going to hear new music um, in some way, shape or form, which is fantastic for, you know, new artists and for the music industry, but that's not our radio station. Um, and we're inoffensive. We plot along and we do our thing and we have fun. Um, there's never been, while I've been there, and this is, a, I guess, an off-air thing that makes us successful, the teams, the people that I've worked with have been, there's been no egos in their pool. We're all just seen together as the one team. And even now we have this wonderful brand new, well, three years old now, but breakfast show, a guy who we didn't know that's come from England. And, and you have those thoughts going into it. This Christian O'Connell, who is he? And, oh, he's a big wig over there. What's he going to be like? But he's just like the rest of us. You know, and there is, we have these meetings and we and we go out together. And so I think that's been the thing is that there's been no, uh, 
there's been no inside turmoil and we just plot along and we do our thing. We look at, you know, what are the prizes people want? Uh, we look at, you know, the music we're playing and uh, is it too heavy, too light? You know, what is it? What is it that people want to hear? And we have an interesting scenario because, you know, research tells us that people feel good when they hear songs that they were listening to when they were 15, 16 years old. So in theory, if you're 30 now, we're playing the songs that you were listening to 15 years ago. But of course, we have this big age, age range. So we have to make sure that everything we play is familiar, a super hit song, because something from you know 1978 is going to mean something totally different to somebody who was born in you know 1978. So yeah, so that's what it is. Okay, Craig, time now to test your memory a little bit. Tell me what these five people have in common. Doug Mulray, Tracy Pearson, Glenn Shurick, Mark Knopfler, and Craig Huggins. Ah, I know the answer to this. Well, I can only speak for the, for the last one, me, but I think I beat them all in the 1986 uh, Australian Grand Prix celebrity race. <laughs> okay, who was the most competitive? So during the week, we we're at the Adelaide Raceway learning how to drive these cars and get out. We had to get actually get CAMS licenses to race on the day. Um, and on the, uh, the last day of us practicing, Mark Knopfler rolls up in a helicopter and he's got his own race suit because he is a, a motor racing head. He loves it. Anyway, so we all went out there and drove. Then the next day, the Saturday, we went and did our time trials on the circuit and it didn't really matter how fast you went, it was most famous to the front. <laughs> okay, so so uh, we're, at, we're at the front. And on this particular day, the head of Foster's and Mark Knopfler were on the front row. Well, the, the head of uh, Foster's, David, whatever his name was, he took off like a rocket and Knopfler went after him. So they jumped the start and had this massive prang on the first corner. And Mark Knopfler broke his shoulder in the crash. Anyway... That night, Mark Knopfler had hired a hotel in Adelaide for everyone in the celebrity race, and, you know, it was all on him, but he, was, he wasn't there. So we had the biggest party of all time without Mark Knopfler, but he paid for it. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a, really, a really good, you know, fun weekend. I, uh, you know, I got to meet all these, these people, and, and, in fact, I became good friends with a guy named Mike Hillard, and it's timely to mention this because Mike was the Australian 1,500-metre runner and he'd been to the Olympic Games, you know. So I became really good friends with uh, with Mike and we're still in contact today. Okay, let's keep on the sporting theme. Try these four names. Mark Irvine, Mike Hillard, Dave Ferguson, and again, Craig Huggins. So there you go. So we, the four of us, and you can tell one was a ring-in, the, <laughs> the four of us raced other radio stations in... Gee, was it called the World Veterans Games? Maybe I can't remember the Melbourne. I know, I know that we raced in a relay, a running race at Olympic Park against other sort of, um, yeah, I guess radio people and business people and and that sort of thing. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and we all decided to wear funny board shorts. I remember that too. Hey, let's not sell ourselves short there, Craig. Gold medalist in the 4x100 celebrity race at what they called the Vet Trans Games. Speaking of nostalgia, recently spoke with Jim Hilkey, one of the great names of 3KZ from the past, 
Are you a radio historian and have you had a chance to meet some of those guys who were household names in the 60s at the old 3KZ? Look, not really, Paul. I'm, I'm a radio historian in the sense that I read the books and I've got quite a bit of radio memorabilia, bits and pieces. Um, but the only kind of older, I guess, people that came before me that I've met have been at, um, we had one sort of 3KZ reunion, but certainly not from those from those um, early days. No. I mean, I'd love to say I have, but uh, but no, I don't. But I have memories of of, of listening to people, you know, certainly my parents, you know, were big fans of 3AW and I, I remember listening to, to 3AW when I was a, a kid. Now, Craig, obviously 30 years at the one station means that you've not only built up a very solid listening audience, but people that you've never met, but most likely considered to be your friends. Now, you shared some very personal news with them in July 2020. Was that because of your strong connection with a listening audience that you spend so much time with every day? Yeah, so the story you're referring to was the day my mother passed away and she she died on the 28th of July in 2020. And I was literally on the air and it was about a quarter to 10 and I got the phone call saying that mum had passed away with COVID. Um, And at that stage, she was like the 30th person in Australia. And I thought, gee, that's that's a lot of people. But now we look at it and you go, oh, that was only the start. Um, I suppose my first thought was my boss came in and said to me, um, look, go home. And I said, look, I'll just do my last break, which was, you know, five to 10. Um, and I'll leave early then. And so I suppose in, in that ensuing five minutes, I decided that I just wanted to leave a message on mum's behalf and my behalf and just say, be careful. This is, this is what it is. And yes, it crossed my mind that Paul, I'm one of these people that I don't just let the telephone ring in the studio and not answer it. If my listeners have taken the time to ring me, to, even if it's to say, you know, what was that song you just played or a wrong number or whatever it might be, but if they're taking the time to ring me, that is my one-on-one contact with them. And I like that I like being personal with them. And I've sat there and listened to, to stories of, of sadness and, and sorrow and, and depression and good times as well. And so, yes, um, is the short answer to what you're asking. I did decide that, or well, I do know that I've grown up, I've grown up with these people and they've grown up with me. And so whilst, um, you know, we're not exactly family, we are friends. And so, yeah, and I wanted to share the news and I, and I, and I think I even said when, when I was discussing that mum had passed away, I said, look, there is no need for you to ring me or write to me. You know, I know that you're thinking about me. And I truly did. Obviously, Craig just highlights a relationship that you have with your audience. Now, that Craig Huggins story is far from over with Nigel 12, of course, on Gold 104.3. Then you just cruise over to the Adelaide Airwaves and play the classic hits between one and four on 1323 over there. So what strategies do you put in place to make sure you don't get your cities and your call signs confused? So I've been doing cruise for 16 years, and in the studio, there are four screens. Three of them I've got set up so that I can click one button, and I've got Adelaide webcams from all over the place, the beach, in the city, um, and so I can see what the weather's like. Um, Not that I'm actually saying 
uh, the temperatures and that sort of thing. Um, but I am saying, hey, a great day to do this or a great day to do that. One of them set up on the beach so I can see if it's blowing a gale. Of course, um, you know, I also ring people in Adelaide to ask what's going on. I, I, I go there quite often. Um, but I'm also careful to not say that I am in Adelaide. So instead of me saying, for argument's sake, I'm going to go to the Adelaide Oval this Saturday night to watch the Crows and Essendon, I will say, what a great game coming up at the Adelaide Oval this Saturday night between the Crows and Essendon. Because I don't want to lie. And, I, and, I've, and, I've, and I've been really strict on myself about that. And um, because the people of Adelaide are really parochial, they love their city, which is fair enough as I love my city, but I've also got this soft spot for Adelaide because my best friend actually lives in Adelaide. So, um, and he often feeds me a bit of information about what's going on, but look, it just takes a bit of preparation. And this is a good trick for any young player who's voice tracking to other cities, put a bit of time in, don't rip and read a voice track shift. I look at it. It's a, it's for me, it's another capital city radio station. So I've got to do a capital job on it. And I, and I, and I do. You know, sometimes, you know, I'll I'll spend an hour researching stuff for every hour that I do. So yeah, give it what it deserves. Okay, Craig, time for a dozen or so stock standard questions we ask all our guests, and we generally start off with the question, where were you when you heard that John Lennon had died? Uh, Yeah, well, I was still going to school in 1980. Um, I think it was late in the year, like December, that John Lennon died, so it would have been nearly holidays. I imagine, I don't remember where I was, um, but I imagine I was probably playing school cricket or across the road from my high school at the Coburg Baths. Last concert ticket you paid for, Craig? <laughs> That's a funny story, actually. Um, I bought a couple of tickets to see Katy Perry in 2018 to take my teenage daughter uh, to go and see because she had, you know, she loved, or still does love Katy Perry. But what's interesting about that is that I hosted an auction night for um, a, a school and another radio station had donated these tickets. You know, they had complimentary written on them. But I thought, well, I'll buy these. Yeah, well, that's obviously something a father would do for his daughter, isn't it, Craig? Hey, listen, the concert act that you regret never seeing? Um, probably Foreigner. I'm a really big fan of Foreigner. I'm, uh, you know, at, the, at, at my heart, I'm a bit of a heavy rocker pull. So, yeah, it would be Foreigner. I've never seen them, but I would have loved to have. Was there ever a word on air that you had most trouble pronouncing? Anything that starts with PR, product, produce, pronunciation. (laughs) And probably the word pronouncing as well. Hey, listen, besides uh, calling in the executioner in Horsham, was there ever an incident on air that had you thinking you might get those don't come Monday orders? (laughs) So I announced that Freddie Mercury had died three days before he died. (laughs) I, uh, I had a friend who had a friend, one of those stories, 
who was a nurse at a hospital in England. And my friend rang me and said that her friend had uh, told her that Freddie Mercury had died. And so I went ahead and said it on the air. Um, but of course, he hadn't died. Turned out that he was in the, in the hospital. He'd been in the hospital and um, he was on death's doorstep, clearly. Um, but yeah, but I announced that he died. The other one was um, I walked out on an interview with Bonnie Tyler once because I didn't think she was giving me anything. She was nodding and shaking her head, which is great for radio. So in the end, I just walked out and said, no, no, I'm not doing this. What's your choice between Skyhooks and Sherbet? Ah, that's probably easy. I'd have to say Sherbet. I was still at school when uh, both of those bands were huge, but I loved Sherbet and I would even traipse around my room, waving a broom in the air and singing into it like I was, you know, Daryl Braithwaite holding the mic stand. I mean, I really like Skyhooks though. And um, of course I ended up working with Sherl and, and having some great times. He even actually provided the cars for my wedding, Shirley Strong. What about the Rolling Stones and the Beatles? Both had their heydays, I guess, when I was a baby. Um, but, you know, having played both of them on the air, particularly in the early days of, of Gold 104 when I first started, I'd have to say the Beatles, I think. Yeah, I like the Beatles. I'm, I'm, I've never really been a big Stones fan. I know you keep a lot of it, but what's your most treasured piece of memorabilia from those early radio days? Oh, that's pretty easy. I've got um, a 3XY neon denim logo. And what's, I'll tell you what's funny about it is that I'd actually left 3XY when I got this and I drove past the building in King Street there and it was um, sitting on top of the, you know, the dump master, the, the big bin there. I thought I'll have that. So I grabbed that. I've also got on-air signs from um, the three radio stations that I've been working at when they've been renovated. And in fact, if you go to the guest toilet in my house, when you turn on the switch, the light out the front says on-air. Speaking of on air, in a rather peculiar way, let me say, Craig, the biggest news story that broke while you were on air. Oh, look, I guess because it's close to my heart is Shirley Strawn's death. I mean, being a friend, I actually knew two hours before we were allowed to say it on the radio. And um, and Shirl also died on my birthday. So I have vivid memories of that. Um, I guess on a personal level, um, the biggest story for me was announcing that mum had passed away. Um, you know, in 2020 with with COVID-19. But, gee, there's been some big stories while I've, I've been on air. But, um, you know, they're more personal and music-based, I guess. Was there ever a moment that someone walked into your studio and you were suddenly starstruck? This wasn't so much in the studio, but I was a big fan, still am, of David Bowie. And I got to meet David Bowie twice. But the first time really sticks out for me, Paul. It was. Um, I was at a backstage party or really a gathering um, before David Bowie played in Brisbane. And he came downstairs into this sort of big area where we were. And there weren't many people there, probably 50, I guess. And he spoke to these four blokes. And when he finished talking to them, he walked over to me. And I was a bit of a shy kid, you know. And he walked over to me and I was standing in the corner. And he came over and he stuck his hand out and shook my hand and said, hi, my name's David. I hear you like my music. And we chatted for, you know, to me, it felt like an hour, but it was probably about a minute. And then he, um, you know, the voiceover came on and said, ladies and gentlemen, David Bowie. And he said, I've got to go and went on stage. So that was, you know, that was pretty uh, mind blowing. Um, but I've been lucky. I've met a lot of famous people, you know, to very, very lucky. 
Can you tell us the best words of advice from a program manager? <laughs> that would have been when Peter Sinclair, the program director of KZFM, told us in the announcers meeting that we were changing to Good Time Oldies, Gold 104. And he stood in front of all the announcers and he said, are we going to make a big change? And if you play your cards right, you could be here for a very, very long time. <laughs> I must have played my cards right. Have you got two albums that were the soundtrack of your teenage years? Oh, that's pretty easy for me. Um, first concert I ever went to was to go and see The Suite. My parents said that um, I could have a birthday party or could take one mate to go and see The Suite at Festival Hall. So I went to The Suite. So for the early years, the album would be The Suite Singles album, which had all of their hits on it. I saved up all my uh, pocket money from delivering the, the local paper, the Coburg Courier. Uh, and then later on, it would be Dark Room by The Angels. And finally, Craig, what did these three people have in common? Edith Bowman, Skin and Craig Huggins. <laughs> well, I've never met the other two and nor have I ever even heard them. Um, I've, their names first came to the, my attention only last week when um, my boss told me that I was a, a finalist in the New York uh, Radio Festival Awards um, for the best international music host, music show host. So it's the first time I'd ever heard of them. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm really, um, yeah, quite chuffed and, I guess, humbled to, to think that I'd be up for an award like that. So, yeah, that's, that's what we've got in common. Well, that is definitely something to look forward to. Hey, Craig, yours is a great story. And uh, as I said, far from over, thanks for your time today. Good luck with the New York Award. And let's just keep those classic hits coming. Thanks again. I really appreciate it, Paul. Um, and look, you know, if you are a young radio announcer, uh, don't let all the negative talk about radio get you down. Just keep at it. I, I, I loved it from the day I first walked into 3XY and I still love it today. Um, you know, Make a go of it. Keep at it. Craig Huggins on Pilots of the Airwaves.